0: Guess this? Here's the guy who's just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we
1: just? I'm Norman Graysmith, a documentary filmmaker. And when I stumbled upon Aidan Mendel, I knew I'd found the subject for my next story. You said you had something to tell me. We're going to start a family.
0: Wow. Like Charles Manson. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we're joined by the director and the producer of this film that we've been tracking since it was since they were shooting it we were lucky to be invited it's been, the, it's been the it was the first and the only one actually the only one where we've gone and done an episode on the set of the film when the screaming starts uh, so we've been tracking it from then to now where it is actually getting it it's, its uh, debut screening so let's start off uh, by meeting some of the some of the stars the 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 sparks the The you know engines behind this particular movie. We'll start off with the director, then we'll move to the producer. Please tell us your name, and uh, yeah, then you introduce the next person.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm Connor Baru. I'm the director, co-writer, and also a producer on When the Screaming Starts. And this handsome chap is uh, (laughs) Dom Lenoir. I'll let you do the rest.
2: Well, there's not much else to do. I'm I'm a producer. (laughs) Hi, Dom. Producer, and uh, yeah. I um, did indeed meet you guys um, and lured you onto first set, Brizit for shoot the breeze, which was a really cool thing to do, actually, and do some sort of interviews and uh, getting behind the scenes. It was a really, uh, really fun experience.
0: Absolutely, you dangled in front of us bait that we could not refuse. Because uh, you know, I've been on sets before. Uh, it was producer Dave's first time on a uh, producer Dave. It was your first time on a on a film set. Yep, yeah, that was the first time being shouted at for making noise. Yes. <laughs> yes, that was, that was hilarious. Just at various points, just like we just wanted to have a conversation. And I'm just trying to explain it's like, well, you see that person there that's holding that thing, and that person, there, you know, people are running over there. And what you got quiet on set It's like, okay, fine. And then we go upstairs uh, where, you know, we think everything's going to be quiet. It's like we're still yelling, people are still yelling at us to be quiet. But um, it, it's, it energized me so much because it's been such a long time since I've been on a film set. And watching everyone do that and talk to everybody as well—all these talented actors and, and crew just walking around doing their thing—is it's honestly, if you ever get the opportunity, if you're interested in films, just get the opportunity to go and do something on a film set, even if it's just you know holding a boom or or making coffees, just to sit there and and just feed off that electricity on the set. Now I'll stop rambling about that. I'll jump to uh, to the to the writer, director, producer to tell us. What is When the Screaming Starts?
1: So uh, When the Screaming Starts is a
0: mockumentary.
1: It's following the journey of an aspiring serial killer. And that's he's played by Ed Hartland. And we also have a Louis Theroux type journalist who's following Aidan on his journey, trying to capture him in his quest to become this infamous serial killer. And that's uh, Jared, Jared Rogers, who plays that role.
0: And Ed Hartland is uh, is a co-writer on the project as well. When we, were, when we last uh, talked about the project, when we were on set, we spoke with him as well as yourself. Uh, so tell us, how did you get, uh, how did you uh, become part of When the Screaming Starts?
1: I'd been working with Ed and Jared for a long, long time. Uh, we all met at drama school and we've been putting on loads of different productions ever since, everything from plays, short films, sketches. So we'd always been working together. We've been wanting to make a feature for a long, long time, but we just never had that script that was A, good enough and B, feasible within our budgets and, you know, limitations that we had. Um, So, yeah, Ed presented this this idea to me. It's something we discussed years before as a very simple seed of an idea. And Ed actually went away. He wrote a first draft and... The core of it was there, you know, the spine that you still see in the finished film was there. It's very different. There's lots of different plot points, different characters. We worked and developed it for the best part of a year. But the spine of it was there and we just we just started working on it. Jared jumped on board as a producer as well as the co-lead. And we've never looked back really. Obviously along the way we've picked up a lot of traction, a lot of steam. We've been joined. We've had reinforcements with the likes of Dom, who have, you know, massively helped to take the film to a to another level.
0: Nice way to segue on to Dom. Uh, Dom Lenoir, we first met you uh, when you you came on the show with Giles Alderson, filmmaker, uh, podcaster of the fantastic uh, filmmakers podcast i don't know I, I should start getting royalties for the for the number of times i pitched that podcast but it's a brilliant should I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a brilliant podcast if you're if you're interested in, in in getting into filmmaking absolutely even if you're in filmmaking just listen to that podcast he gets some fascinating guests on there so the two of you came on our show to talk about your uh, make make your film uh program which was basically encouraging uh you know aspiring filmmakers to get up and make their film uh, and then you then told us about When the Screaming Starts. So what actually attracted you to jump on the, the project When the Screaming Starts?
2: I think it started off, uh, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, I've um, Connor sort of come on um, some of my, we came on my film course uh, that I ran a while ago and he's come to the, the film events. I mean, this is a good example of networking, sort of working, <laughs> networking. Um, so, (laughs) so I mean, basically like it started off as, I mean, my, my, my sort of, my sort of thoughts are, you know, wherever stage you're at in the industry, if you're in a position to help, you should help. Uh, And you can either be a gatekeeper or you can be a gate opener. And obviously then the question comes down to, you know, whether you want to open up your connections to the people because of their attitudes and also because of the quality of, of what they're doing. So, you know, Connor sort of passed those tests uh, with the project. There were projects that he'd brought to me where I I didn't think that they were, you know, particularly in great shape, the scripts, or they weren't necessarily as original as they could be. Um, But this one, this one was good. Um, And it just started off as advice um, initially, like providing insights, connecting with him, with some people that I I sort of trusted and and were good, like Lucinda. Um, I'm just sort of putting the pieces together in terms of helping him, you know, build, build the project. And, um, you know, he started to go off on his own. And, and, you know, the other thing is if you're, if you're working with people, you've, you've got to have proactivity and they've, they've got to be doing some stuff themselves. You can't expect a a producer to come on and do everything. Um, And and he did. And him and Jared and Ed started to build the core team and they brought in a lot of their own uh, people. Uh, And it started to shape into something quite decent. And then, I saw it was a respectable project and I'm quite reluctant in what I join in terms of a producer and as a director as well. Um, But I did think it was a quality, quality team and it was shaping up well. So I I sort of ended up coming on set and overseeing to make sure things were running smoothly. And then that sort of developed into producing. And then in post-production, I just became, you know, swamped with the project basically and, brought a lot of the, the post team in um, and some, some really great people I'd worked with before that sort of boosted and and uh, the production values in, in a couple of places and um, worked with what was already very well shot, well acted uh, footage.
0: You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Acko. I'm producer Dave. And we're joined uh, by the uh, writer, producer, director and the producer of When the Screaming Starts, uh, Connor Buru and Dom Lenoir. Uh, the the film, from what we saw while we were on set, we only got to see one aspect of it, one scene in particular, and it seemed it it was riveting. It was almost the it, it's an ensemble piece. Uh, you have a bunch of you have a number of actors who are going to be working together on as the uh, as the mockumentary goes through. So you talked about the Louis Theroux style. Uh, documentarian who's interviewing this main character played by Ed Hartland. Uh, but then you get to meet other, uh, characters as well. I'm not going to say who they are, or what they do, but I will mention some of the actors, Yesen, Artur, um, Var Hog, uh, Hoghalt. I, I, I always mess up the twins, the name, the names of the twins, uh, yeah. Octavia Gilmore, a number of other people as well who are there. Uh, so Connor, I want to jump to you. Uh, You mentioned that it's a mockumentary style. So when people start thinking mockumentary, the first thing that pops up in my head is things like The Office and maybe, uh, or maybe something like This Is Spinal Tap. What sort of references or sort of influences uh, did you let bleed into your uh, telling of this particular story?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, initially when when i was coming on board the project looking at the initial draft i guess i was thinking more like something like the office there's a sort of iconic style of mockumentaries we have in this country this very dry british sense of humour and originally it was just going to be like that you know not overly stylized maybe not having too much music or a score or anything like that but as the film developed and the ideas kept on evolving I felt like I wanted to make this a little bit more cinematic and a little bit more stylized than, say, something like The Office. I love The Office, but, you know, we it's just not my thing. I can't touch what those guys have done. It's just incredible. So I tried to bring my own flavor to it, my own style, and tried to create something a little bit more quirky and off the wall. And as I said before, a little bit more stylized.
0: Okay and and Dom as the producer the experienced producer coming on board this project you've now you're essentially quarterbacking the project as you said you came on uh Connor and the others had already done a great job but then when it came to post production you stepped in a lot more and you're now taking it forward there's a screening that's about to happen we'll talk about that in a few minutes um from a producer's perspective what are your um what w- would your sort of vision of this type of mockumentary comedy you know it's it's a low budget mockumentary comedy british comedy as well um what is your sort of vision as to the uh, life expectancy of this film in the market as it is just to throw in the fact that we have you know we're we're currently going through major blockbusters in you know reporting losses in cinema because of covid and pandemic etc what is your expectation for this particular project a low-budget mockumentary comedy, British comedy, to do in the marketplace?
2: Well, I mean, I guess I never look at it as a, as a low-budget, and I, I don't look at anything that I tend to work on as low-budget because I throw everything uh, I can, and I think that's one of the things me, myself and Connor have in, in, in common is that even though it's got that quirky British charm, there's the kind of American cinema polish um, that's always been in the background in terms of the composing the grade um you know the vfx all those kind of things i mean one of the things uh, i sort of brought on board was the the title sequences which looks uh really amazing and sort of gives it that hbo intro sort of game of thrones true detective uh, vibe, via which is a, a really cool sort of intro into into things and then it sort of chucks into this sort of british comedy um so i mean obviously covid's been a tricky time um but what is uh, definitely going on in the market is an interest in original, interesting content. Uh, and I think people are hungry for it. Um, I think this looks well above its budget. Uh, I think it's because it's so original uh, and it has got so many sort of good reference points in terms of what people are interested uh, and also being sort of partly a genre film. Uh, I think there's certainly a very good route to market for it. Um, and the fact that we've been selected uh, at FrightFest, one of the biggest sort of horror film festivals in the world, and we've already had about three or four major festivals uh, headhunting us already. Uh, speaks very highly at the, at the sort of interests uh, of the film, uh, and I think it's going to find a pretty firm audience amongst the the horror and comedy uh, communities,
0: especially. That's fantastic news. I'm glad to hear uh, of the success that it is that it is currently ongoing, and it's literally just the fact that it was only a. Uh it almost feels like it was almost last week that we were on set. And, and a few weeks ago, we had you come on. Uh, Connor, you came on and talked about the project. It's great to hear of the success so far. Um, and you've brought it up, Don, the fact that it's now premiering at FrightFest. So tell us, what is Fright Fest for people who don't know about that festival? And when can people get to see it at this uh, festival?
2: So FrightFest is one of the biggest horror festivals in the world. Uh, it's in Leicester Square. Uh, it, they basically, they take over all of Sydney World uh, for a couple of days. It starts on the, the 28th. Um, we had two screenings go up on the 28th, uh, which pretty much immediately sold out. And so we had an additional screen added on the 29th, which has also sold out. Uh, so, so, so watching the film is a little bit tricky uh, right now because of the, the demand. But we are planning to have various other festival screenings sort of coming up. And as the festival run, as the initial sort of first half of the festival run sort of starts to um, get stuck in, obviously distributions on the cards and, and we're sort of looking at a wider release so everyone can get their eyes on the film.
0: That's fantastic. More fantastic news. The fact that you you're already sold out uh, at uh, Fright Fest and now you're adding more nights. Connor, am I, Connor, am I right in uh, saying this is your first feature film? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. So what
0: what does it feel like to have your first picture actually sell out at a film festival to the point where you have to add more and more screenings? Uh, you know, it's your first project. When at the moment, again talking about COVID, there are major blockbusters that are not doing that well, that are basically losing money. You, on the other hand, are already making bucks with your—I say making bucks, but you know—at the film <laughs> festival uh, with your first with your debut feature.
1: Yeah, I mean. I'm over the moon to be honest. It's it's been a long road. As you guys said you've been there from from the start, you've been on set, you've seen it. It's um it's been tricky, especially with you know the whole pandemic thing going on in the background. It's, it's not been easy to navigate in in these times. It's never easy to make a feature film, uh especially an independent one. So to finally get to this point where we've finished it and to play at such a an iconic festival. I mean, I think we're all thrilled. Fright Fest was our number one festival in the UK. You know, it's in our home city. It's in London, so we're just we're just so chuffed and so grateful, and we're we're really really excited to be able to share it with people. I haven't been to the cinema, I don't think, for well at least a year and a half.
0: Yeah, because everyone is it's that whole fear of actually going out there and you know sitting in a in a dark room with a whole bunch of strangers, um, the whole mixing with masks and everything else, it is it 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 started to lift gradually and i'm glad to hear that i've i've been one person who's been scared about going back to cinema but in the last couple of weeks i've been to the cinema three times which is great so i'm great. I'm, I'm i'm hoping that more and more continues and the moment when uh, the screaming starts hits the cinemas i'm going to be one of the first people there watching it as well because i definitely want to I, I definitely want to see this film in the big screen because it from, where, from what we saw it it, it looks amazing It's um, the acting talent on there is great and you know we want to we want to champion independent uh, cinema especially british independent cinema as best as we can you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 24.4 fm i'm marcus eaco and i'm producer dave um just want to ask will you be doing a q a when you do the premiere next week
2: we will we'll be doing three
0: three oh. q a's okay yeah. for each night at frightfest
2: so we will be sort of well, in, introing and jumping from one, one to the other. There'll be a, a main Q&A on the first one, a, a smaller one on the second screening as we sort of run from one to the other. And then on the Sunday, there'll be a full Q&A again.
1: Yeah, there's two screenings that are running almost simultaneously. They're slightly mm-hmm. staggered. I think one's at 8.45 and the next one, I believe, is at 9.15. So it gives you that time to do the Q&A for each one at the end.
0: So just to check, so obviously it's at Fright Fest at the moment. Have you secured a distribution deal yet or is the plan to basically hit Fright Fest? And as you said, you mentioned earlier that a number of other prestigious film festivals are sort of headhunting you. Have you already secured that distribution deal or are you looking at the festivals to do that for you? Dom, I'll throw Mm -hmm. that question to you.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, the the plan has always been to to use Fright Fest and, and not make any decisions until afterwards. Um, we've already had interest from various parties uh, on distribution, but we've kind of thrown everything uh, into the the PR and uh, you know the actual screening itself. Uh, and we're kind of going to enjoy that. Um, and we've got a couple of other festivals going up through the winter, but we are going to be speaking more more seriously to distribution and considering all of our options before uh, jumping into anything.
0: That's fantastic. We we wish you all the best, and and please let us know the moment it gets that that uh, distribution deal and everyone gets to see it. The people who can't make it to Fright Fest uh, or to any of the other festivals that it gets into, please let us know, come on here. We'll champion it as best as we can so we can get as many people watching it. Uh, but yes, absolutely. Uh, Connor, Dom, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze.
2: Thanks very much for having us. It's been a pleasure.